0: Thank you Ben and Edward and Randy and Arturo for leading us in uh, worship this morning. And uh, I'd like to introduce myself to you, a uh, first time visitor or maybe first time visiting with us online. Uh, we want to say welcome to you, but my name is Mark, I'm one of the ministers on staff here at MAC and I want you to know I'm excited about what our church is doing, not just in San Antonio and not just inside of our church family, but around the world. And Uh, At the end of our assembly, if we've never had an opportunity to meet one another, to lock eyes on each other, uh, to visit, I I would love to meet you. And uh, if you go through these doors right here into the big foyer, what we call our family room, there is off to my right, your left right now, a green wall that says, welcome, we're glad you're here. And if you would like to, to meet with me, I'd love to meet with you. If, but if you would like to come by and shake hands, hug, whatever, and introduce yourself, and I'll introduce myself, I'd love to get to know you and, and talk a little bit about our church family here. Uh, also, if you're a first-time visitor here, you probably have noticed there's an insert in the bulletin. That is uh, something that we use at this time in the assembly. We use uh, one side of that that has all the blanks on it and says growing in grace at the top of it, that is our sermon outline. We're actually in a sermon series about the grace of God. This is the third lesson, and you can use that side of that insert to take notes, uh, uh, fill in the blank, uh, the answers to the blanks and everything will be in the major points that we, we broadcast up here on the screen and on the television. And then on the back side of that, it's what we call the MPG. M is for memorize, P is for pray, G is for glorify. And we believe the Word of God is something incredibly important. It is uh, life-changing. It is transformational. And we want the Word of God to be something that you interact with, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout today and the rest of the week. And so we want to give you, as it pertains to the message this morning, a, a, a verse to memorize out of God's Word. We want to give you something to pray about this week as a prayer exercise throughout the week. And then we always, in that glorify section, give you something... To, to do that's practical, that pertains to what we're talking about on Sunday morning, or, or something to, to reflect on like questions like we have on the one this morning. But I would encourage you to use the, uh, the, the fill-in-the-blanks, to make some notes, and to follow along as we go through God's Word this morning, thinking about grace, and then use the MPG throughout the rest of the day and the rest of the week. Now, a question. Who doesn't like... To get gifts. I mean, you get a gift, it just kind of turns your day around from bad to good, right? But do you really know anybody that thinks that the worst day of the year is Christmas morning? I mean, you know, I just can't wait to stop opening gifts on Christmas morning. Or how about a birthday? I mean, a lot of times we don't want to be reminded of our birthday because we don't want to be reminded that we're getting older. We don't want to be reminded of our age. But have you ever heard anybody say, "I hope nobody remembers my birthday because I really don't want to get any gifts." I don't want to get a gift card. I don't want a card. I don't I don't want I don't want any gifts whatsoever. Uh, gifts have an important place to play in our world. Think about wedding showers. A young couples about to get married, uh, sometimes they're starting out, they're young, they're not at the height of their, their earning years. And so we have this wedding shower where we shower, we rain gifts down on this couple to bless them. And you know, when Ellen and I got, got married, uh, you know, we were really, really young. She was 20, I was 21. We didn't have a lot of money. And the wedding shower was such a blessing to us because we didn't have the money to buy all the things we needed to set up that household. And we had that wedding shower, and it was such a blessing. And then when our kids rolled around, we had a baby shower. And think about the baby showers you've attended or received. You're having a baby. You're a young family. There's a lot of things. It's expensive you know, to set up a nursery. And a bunch of people get together and they buy gifts and they rain those gifts down. They shower your life with those gifts. And it's such a blessing to start off with a new family, a new life that way. And sometimes it didn't even have to be a special day. When Ellen and I were living in Brazil, and this is some 26, 27, 28 years ago, uh, we had a couple of folk from our supporting church in Southern California come and visit us. And what they had done is they had given a, a block of material to every family in that church. The family wrote their name in their own handwriting, turned them back in. Some of the ladies in the church that liked to quilt embroidered those names onto those blocks and then quilted them together to make this gigantic quilt that was the squares of all the names of the family of that church when they supported us in Brazil. And they came into the room and they opened up that suitcase and they presented it to us and we got all emotional. and I mean, they were just so gracious. We were so thankful. And even to this day, even though we don't see that quilt a lot, when we do, we go over nearly block by block the names of those people that were so gracious to us and and blessed us so much. You know, gifts. Gifts have a place in the world. And gifts are why Christians ought to be and should be the poster people of thankfulness. Remember what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Christians are not part-time when it comes to thankfulness because one of the things that we know is that Christians, they receive gifts every day, not just special days and even on bad days. Let me say that again. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all... This is the wrong slide. Can we go to the next one? There we go. There we go. <laughs> Christians know that they receive gifts every day, not just special days and even on bad days. Now, as a human being, this is not very easy and it's not very natural for us to do. And that's why we have to hear Peter's words to the church in general 2,000 years ago when he says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word grace in the language of the Bible simply means gift. A gift is something that you give to someone to let them know that you're thinking about them, that you love them, that you want to bless them, that you want to help them, you want to encourage them, and what you really want is their good. That's why you're blessing them with a gift. Now, one of the ways, based on that understanding of the word grace, one of the ways that we're going to define grace in the Bible for the purposes of these messages is this way Grace is God's goodness for the good of humans. Grace is God's goodness for the good of humans. Now, as we've seen, the Bible's opening words describe a God who, in the beginning and from the beginning, has been a giver of gifts. That's his nature. His nature is to give and to love and to bless and to supply what is needed. God created, in Genesis 1 and 2, all the tangibles to take care of human physical needs. To to prepare, to, to create all of our physical needs even before we arrived on planet Earth. Earth was created by God in such a way that human beings, that is those that are created in God's image, would flourish and blossom and excel and succeed and increase in every way. And in the creation story, it's not just the tangibles that are created, but God provides even for the intangibles by creating not just man, but man and woman to take care of each other, and thereby meeting not just our physical needs, but our emotional needs. And you remember the story, Adam and Eve are put in the garden, there is only one rule. In fact, I want you to say that with me, only one rule. Let's say it again, only one rule. There's only one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, in the Garden of Eden, only one rule. There are lots of yes trees, lots of yes trees, but only one No tree. And as we think about creation, what we see with all of the gifts that God is giving us is that God is maximum love and He is minimum law. Maximum love and minimum law. But you know the story of Adam and Eve. We talked about it last week. They disobeyed the only one rule and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, sin enters into the world with a thousand faces. And we recognize a lot of them personally. There's hate and violence and disease and cruelty. There's hurt and malice and envy and greed. There's misunderstandings and addictions and enslavements, injustices and pride and arrogance and hubris. There's self-centeredness. There's egotism. There's betrayals and at the top of the list, death that not only enters into the world, but it enters into human beings. When that happened, life as we know it in the Garden of Eden has ended. Life is out of whack. Sin has turned the world upside down. And in the beginning, we see God's grace providing not only for our physical needs and our emotional needs, but God is also providing for our spiritual needs. And in that beginning, at creation, as sin and death enter into the world, God says that in the future, there is one that is going to come. This is what we talked about last week, is the Proto-Evangelium, the first preaching of the gospel, that there's going to be one who comes that's not only going to destroy the serpent, but everything that the serpent stands for. Now let's step out of Genesis 3 just for a second. Ironically, the words sin and sinner have become some of the most difficult words in the West and in North America to say, to even pronounce. Along with words like repentance and hell and judgment and sal- even salvation, our culture has very little use for the word sin. It's no longer a, a sort of a common everyday vocabulary word. Now on top of that, it even has become a little difficult for some believers in Jesus of Nazareth to say the words sin and sinfulness. When we speak about God, we go straight to grace. But that is not the path the Bible takes. That is not the trajectory of the Bible. Now in the Hebrew Old Testament, there there are several words that are used to describe what sin is all about. The first one is is this word, chata, which means to miss the mark. It means to go astray, that there is an ideal and you're falling short of it, or missing the mark. The other word is ava, or the verb avar, which means to do wrong intentionally. It is to be willfully and deliberately disobedient. There's also another word, and it's the word "pasha," which means to rebel or to revolt against God. And those three words help us to kind of get our mind around the concept of sin. But the Bible doesn't leave our understanding of sin just to concepts. The Bible lets us see in action. The Bible lets us see in real life what sin is like in full effect. Now, as we saw last week, in the Garden of Eden... There is a foreshadowing of a future where the serpent and all that the serpent stands for is going to be destroyed. Now that's great news. That is, that is fantastic news. But notice that the Bible does not, even though it mentions one is going to come, the Bible doesn't skip over the top of sin in order to speed on over to grace. The storyline of the Bible lingers on the effects of sin entering into the world. In fact, over the next eight chapters, there is going to be an illustration of what the world looks like when it's out of sync with God, when it's separated from God, when sin has entered the world. Now, in chapter 4, we have a very famous story, Cain and Abel. Now, you know the story of Cain and Abel is the sons of Adam and Eve. They are outside of the Garden of Eden, and they're worshiping God. Abel has a worship that is acceptable to God. Cain is sort of given sort of second best, heart not really into it. And God doesn't accept his, but he accepts Abel's. And Cain gets upset about it. In fact, he gets downright angry about it. And God says to him, Cain, you need to master that anger that that is crouching like an animal ready to take over your heart. And Cain says, no, it's no big deal. You know, I got this under control. And then we read in verse 8, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Now, this tells us a little bit about the nature of sin, does it not? I mean, imagine, you know, we go from eating a piece of forbidden fruit to murder. That's a human being. Think about going into somebody's house, and they got a big bowl of fruit sitting out there on the counter. There's apples and grapes and oranges. There's a pineapple. There's bananas. There's peaches. All this delectable fruit. But there's one little tiny apricot right there, kind of right there in the center. And the owner of the house says, hey, if you're hungry, have a piece of fruit. You can have all the fruit you want. You can have all of, any of the fruit you want except that one little apricot. But it's the apricot that we choose to eat. And we just choose to eat that apricot or whatever that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil is. And the power of sin enters into us and we go from disobedience like that to murder. And then 15 verses later, we have this cat by the name of Lamech who not just commits murder, but he begins to brag about it. In fact, when you look at the ancient Hebrew, it looks like he has put it together in a song or a poem. And he's singing it to his wives. And he says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. We're now singing about it and bragging about it. And the world just continues this downward spiral. And in Genesis chapter 6, we have Noah and the flood. And you know the story. I mean, everything is just going off the rails at this point. The power of sin is just, just corrupting and, and vandalizing everybody and everything. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord sees how great the wickedness of the human race has become on the earth. Comma. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil, say it with me, all the time. And some of the saddest words you'll ever read in the entire Bible, the Lord regretted that he had made the human beings and his heart was deeply troubled well you know the story of Noah and the flood right noah is the only righteous man left he and his family going to the ark along with the animals that god sends their way there's a flood everything's wiped out god is rebooting the earth starting all over again i'm starting with noah noah the last righteous man well we go from that To the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. We've started all over again with a righteous human being, but a righteous human being who has fallen. And it's not long after that that we get to the Tower of Babel where human beings are saying to each other, Come, let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now, believe it or not, we've come full circle. What started the bad business was the fact that we ate, we disobeyed God. We ate of the forbidden fruit, and the reason we ate of the forbidden fruit was so that we could be like God. By the end of Genesis chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel, and it's the same old, same old. We are trying to get into heaven so that we can get into God's face and be with God. By the time we get to the, the Tower of Babel, at the end of excuse me, Genesis chapter 11, we hopefully get the point. The Bible does not gloss over sin in order to speed over to grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and resurrection because of this simple fact. Sin is a big deal. Let's say that together. Sin is a big deal deal let's say it again sin is a big deal and it's a bigger deal than we think quite frankly it's a bigger deal than we think abandoning the language of sin does not make sin go away human beings still experience to this day alienation and frustration and separation and condemnation and judgment The world we live in is still upside down. The world we live in is still broken because of sin. This last Wednesday, March 16th, I, at 8 o'clock in the morning, like most of you, sat and watched Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, address the U.S. Congress. And toward the end of the speech, there was played a video that showed the cities of the Ukraine and all of their beauty and all of their connectedness pre-the Russian invasion. Then as the video continued, it showed what those cities looked like after the invasion began, after the shelling began, after the war began, destruction and devastation and death. To this day, modern people strip away all the politics, strip away all the propaganda, strip away the pointing of fingers, And you still have people, old people and middle-aged people and young people and children dead on the streets. Abandoning the language of sin does not make sin go away. And I would say that we as disciples of Jesus need to, to be very much aware of the impact of sin in the world to this day. And especially in light of our understanding about grace because I believe that the full impact of grace, the full impact of grace, cannot be felt apart from the full impact of sin. The uglier sin becomes, the more beautiful grace becomes. Sin is a big deal, grace is a bigger deal. Where sin destroys, grace rebuilds. Where sin separates, grace reconciles. Where sin deforms, grace transforms. What sin makes ugly, grace restores beauty. Sin brings hell, grace brings God and His heaven. The full impact of grace cannot be felt apart from the full impact of sin. The more you know about sin, the more you, you understand the, the, the power of sin, the more beautiful grace becomes. Two concluding thoughts and, and, and we're done. Sin, becomes, sin comes to us as, as a power to defeat. Sin comes as a power to defeat. Humans, humans are free to make decisions, right? Even disastrous ones. We understand things like cause and effect. We understand you reap what you sow. We understand that actions have consequences. We understand that what goes around comes around. But Genesis, it seems to go out of its way to emphasize a powerlessness of humans when it comes to the power of sin. Sin is not just a philosophy. Sin is a power. Sin is a power that comes into human life. In fact, this is one of the reasons that Paul, in writing about just the devastating effects of sin, reminds us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9 that everybody, not just the Jews or not just the Gentiles, but everybody alike are all under the power of sin. The power of sin. And Paul does the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6. He reminds the people in Ephesus and tells them, you've got to put on this armor of God because sin is a real deal. Darkness is a real deal. Our struggle, he writes in verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, even though it looks like it from time to time. And the manifestation, the, the tangible manifestation of sin, a lot of times is mano a mano. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the what church? The powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sin comes as a power to defeat. But then grace, on the other hand, comes as a power for triumph. Is that good news? Grace comes as a power for triumph. Grace is about forgiveness, but it is more than that because our need is larger than forgiveness. We need to be forgiven because we're all guilty before God. We all sin, but we need more than forgiveness. We need transformation. We need to be a a, a different kind of a human being. We need to be changed. We need to be transformed. And you know what we need? We need a win. We need a win against the power of evil, the power of sin. And especially its manifestation that comes to all men death. We need a win. And that is provided to us as a gift, as a gift from Jesus of Nazareth. little verse out of Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, and all people like you and me have flesh and blood, Jesus, He too, shared in their humanity so that by His death He might break the power of of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. On the day that you become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, death is replaced with life. And the day, even if you die in this life, that day is is the day you overcome death in Christ Jesus. If we were to expand the definition of grace this way, it would be like this. Grace is God's answer and solution to the problem of sin. And that's more than forgiveness. That is a gift of transformation and of life that can begin today if you have never committed yourself to Jesus. And we're going to have some shepherds down here at the front. We're going to sing a song about grace right now. And if we could help you in any way connect your life to God's gift of life, forgiveness, of transformation, of power over the sin of death. We want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and we praise God together. Let's stand and sing.